This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. Thomas, what do we got today? Well, today we decided to look at something that, um, a topic that some people might not be aware of, that the United States of America at one point um, actually had its own emperor. And it wasn't who you, it's probably someone that, now you think, wasn't George Washington, even though obviously nope. we talked about in our first podcast, he had the opportunity to be so, but a man by the name of Joshua Abraham Norton, actually was known as Norton I, Emperor of the United States and Protector of Mexico. Yep. Uh, yeah, he claimed himself to be the emperor of the United States in, I think, and we'll get to that, 1859 until 1880. So for 21 years, uh, this guy believed, truly believed himself that, that he was the emperor of the United States. And, and it wasn't just that. Yeah, it was also yeah, people went along why, with it. Exactly. Yeah, you can have any one just say, I'm the emperor of this, I'm the emperor of that, or I'm this guy. But it was people actually supported him in it. And it was, I guess it can be debated how much if it was like uh, just a gag or how much was it just... Um, I mean, if it was a gag, it was an expensive gag, them. considering how much money yeah, they well, donated to this guy. They donated right. money to him. He ate for free. And he had, they actually printed money with his face on it and people accepted yeah. it. Like the businesses yeah. in San Francisco accepted it. So he was a, he no. was a well-known figure in during that time in San Francisco. Absolutely. So today, welcome to a fairly short podcast, I think, on Emperor Norton I, um, also known and as only, the, and only. Yes, right. And also known as the only emperor of the United States. This is going to be a quirky podcast. I, I mean, obviously, the topic is kind of quirky. And, and we felt like, you know, after last week, when I said it was going to be a short podcast, and it proved to be our longest one we've done, um, you know, talking about blockbusters, I think this one might actually be fairly shorter. But um, let's get going. Let's kind of, you know, jump right into Emperor Norton and uh, explain kind of where he came from and how he arrived in San Francisco. And then what we'll do is we'll talk about what kind of led him to proclaim himself emperor. And then we'll get into, as Tom said, almost like this, I wouldn't say a, a facade. I wouldn't say it was like a, a joke. However, to an extent, I, I think it might have been. But this guy being recognized as, uh, as some form of a you know, power, higher power. He had, he, had, he had certain degrees of power. At the very least, he got, he was able to live like an emperor to a certain degree. Yep. So in San Francisco. Let's, absolutely. So let's, uh, by the way, we're talking about years, um, like I said, it's 1850s, late 1850s until 1881 uh, when he died. But Emperor Norton, as far as history knows, because this is also a little bit unclear, Emperor Norton was actually born Joshua Abraham Norton um, in 1818. It is believed that he was born to Jewish parents uh, in present-day London. At the age of two, he winds up moving with his parents to South Africa, and his father sets up a fairly successful ship supply business in Africa. Um, and, and Norton kind of helps his father out and really kind of learns the tricks of the trade mm -hmm. and, and how to be a businessman. At the age of 21, he basically opens up his own ship supply business. However, he proves to make really kind of bad investments. And which is foreshadowing the future I, when we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, he goes bankrupt within like 18 months at 21. Then things kind of turn even worse for him. Within a few years, um, by 1848, his father's business kind of going down. Uh, and then his father and his mom pass away. And then the, there's not much known how or why, but his siblings also die within like that two-year period. So 
1849, Norton basically says, forget this. He leaves South Africa and he first initially sails across to South America. Then he winds up landing in San Francisco in late 1849, which is where we start the story of Emperor Norton. And San Francisco in 1849, Tom, was a very busy place. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's what was going on in 49. Right. Just the gold rush, right? Yeah, where the uh, 49ers get their name from, right? Right. The gold rush, everyone's so it's, you have a large population there, and uh, everyone's trying to get rich. And really, I guess that's a future podcast right there, right? The, yeah. the gold rush, because most of the people that got rich were not the people looking for gold. It was yeah. the people selling things for the people looking for gold. Yeah. Right? Levi so, Strauss, people that stress. Absolutely. And, and when he lands in San Francisco in 1849, uh, it's San Francisco is in like this weird time period. I mean, first of all, there is, they say that um, between 1849 and 1851, San Francisco was almost entirely destroyed by fire seven times. There was seven fires in just two years. And each time, and the issue, the reason for that is because the population was growing at such a rapid pace that you had people that were just basically building shacks. Um, and these shacks that were made out of like wood and, you know, whatever they could find were easily flammable, which kind of led to. An yeah, issue pe- people, were, people were cooking inside them, cooking, out, cooking right by them. You had open flames to keep warm. It was not the San Francisco that you think of today. No. It, that wasn't there. This was a shanty towns, things of that nature. Yeah. And, yeah, and people fires. trying to make money. Yeah, people trying, people to, make trying money. to make money. And people were being, it, it was not a fun place to be, without no. a doubt. And real Not quick, glamorous. just before we kind of move on, like when he lands there, so in 49, when he um, lands in San Francisco, it has about 5,000 people uh, living in it. Within a decade, uh, by 59, it has 50,000. And by 60, 1865, it has almost 100,000. Like that's how quickly yeah, this is just going to explode. Exactly. So Emperor Norton lands there. He kind of establishes himself. He builds a... a but he's not the emperor yet. We have to. We have to. No, understand. no, no, no. Yeah, no. He's just. He's not the emperor. Wait, actually, he's a, he's he a well-known. He, he's a well-known businessman. People know him. Yes. Right. They're, he makes they're money. aware of him. He makes. He's making money. He's profitable. Um, and he's like I said before, he's known in this area, and that's going to lead him down a path because he always wants. He's looking for his next big score, a, yeah. a way to make it. He's rich, but he wants to be one of these like you know big time power like a robber baron types of rich. Yeah, know? and he's he makes a lot of his money actually selling different commodities such as rice and flour, which I'm sure, Tom, you're going to get into in a second. But he also invests a decent amount in real estate. Uh, he erects buildings and essentially rents them. So this guy is considered and known in the circles um, in San Francisco as a fairly wealthy guy. I mean, he's, he's doing pretty well. And then, as you said, Tom, like, right, so what's his big score here? Well, what he believes in, in 1852 that he saw a business opportunity and what was going on in China. China was facing a severe famine. Um, because they placed a ban on the export of rice. So it caused the price of rice in San Francisco to skyrocket from four to 36 cents per pound. So that's a lot of money. Um, and he heard that there was this one ship coming from Peru, right, the Glide, and it was carrying over 200,000 pounds of rice. And he decided to buy the entire shipment for $25,000. So that was a lot. He was buying it for basically around 12 and a half cents per pound. And his idea was he was going to corn the market. So he signed. Yeah, he thought contract. that was he thought that was going to be the only rice. Yeah, he was going to control all the rice, and he bought it for twelve cents a pound. But you know, I can sell for 36, 40, 50 cents a pound. Yep. I'm going to get rich off of this. Um, but shortly after he signed the contract, before he even unloads the ship, several other shiploads of rice <laughs> arrived from Peru, yeah. and it caused the price of uh, the rice to basically plummet from to about three cents. So he loses all that money, 
and he quickly tries to void the contract. He states that the dealer misled him, um, the quality of the rice was not up, up to par and stuff like that. And he basically goes into litigation for the next several years from 1853 to 1856, where he won the cases in lower courts, but the California Supreme Court ruled against him. And he was basically forced to uh, foreclose. He lost his real estate. Uh, he had to sell out of his estate holdings, like in, in California, to pay the debt. And he filed for bankruptcy. And they think, and he wound up working in um, at a boarding house. Yeah, and he, they, this kind of leads to what happens. Yeah, he's bankrupt. And they think this kind of caused him to have kind of like a psychological break. Yep. Which then he decides to, okay, I'm now going to declare himself emperor and a lot of it is also i guess we get to that now he was kind of discontent with the um legal system he didn't like yes. the political structure in the united states obviously mad that the court system in, in this way he felt like didn't didn't uh, defend him even though he was the one trying to corner the market and just mm -hmm. got unlucky the guy probably did lie to him but he thought he was going to basically just you know skyrocket the price of rice and make all this money off of a famine <laughs> you know like, yeah. probably not the not morally the best thing to do but you know He's, he's an emperor, right? Yeah, so the emperor thing, he he basically, you know, this is interesting because you mentioned this, like he kind of goes a little, I mean, he goes nutty. There's no question about it. Actually, the U.S. census um, has him registered as self-proclaimed to be emperor. Um, the U.S. census from 50, I forgot it was, 1859. He does in 59. Yeah. However, oh, the U.S. census, if you check it, also next to his name says insane. Yeah, people just I mean, I don't know if he was him, insane. He was just—he was delusional. There's no question about he it. He was delusional. They said he was very eccentric, um, yeah. and he would wear full garb. He'd have this, like you know, a beaver hat, and he, you can find pictures of him too, all dressed up yeah. in his military garb. And actually, he would go walking or walking around San Francisco. Do you know that he actually he switched himself. between the colors? Um, they said that during the Civil War, he didn't want to offend either side. So he would switch between two uniforms because he always dressed in his military uniform with this, like, you know, peacock feather in his yeah. hat. But um, he would switch from gray to blue, gray to blue. And when the Union won, he decided to just kind of go with the blue. That was his thing. But the way he, you know, kind of going back to how he became the emperor, he started by printing these leaflets. And in it, it was basically a proclamation in which he declared himself the emperor of the United States. And what kind of brings the attention in here is that the San Francisco Evening Bulletin newspaper actually prints his proclamation. He, and what the way he, they do it is he walks into the paper, you know, his offices and just presents the editors like, hey, here you go. Like, can you publish this? And this guy's like, sure, there's nothing else going on. But then people get curious, like, all right, who is this guy? The note itself said at the peremptory request of a large majority of the citizens of these United States, I, Joshua Norton, formerly of Cape of uh, Good Hope, and now for the last nine years and 10 months past of San Francisco, California, declare and proclaim myself emperor of these United States. He's 41 years old. He christens himself the emperor of the United States. And then people are now curious, who is this guy? And as you said, he starts dressing in this like elaborate military uniform and starts walking around San Francisco as if he's like inspecting it. And he becomes a curiosity. Also, the, as we said earlier, there's so much more population growth in San Francisco that he becomes almost more or less like a tourist attraction. Yeah, he's a um, celebrity. And that's what a lot of the historians write about that I was reading. That they said, you know, all San Francisco kind of, you know, they, they propped him up and they kept him and they, they provided for him. And they said it was actually the contrast that he really provided for San Francisco because people would come in to see him. A lot of the merchants would sell things bearing his name. The reason people, like we talked about before, accepted some of that money is because they thought it was kind of like 
funny. It's like a souvenir. Yeah. You know, like this is what it, it's, it's, it's memorabilia of this guy. So, and they were making a lot of money off of Emperor Norton as time yeah. went on. And, and uh, his big his, first decree, right? Yeah. When yeah. One of his Congress. next decrees. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that was what, what his biggest decree was, you know, he basically says, you know, the United States Congress, they don't know what they're doing. So he calls for the complete abolishment. Like well, he calls Congress. for the army to go through the halls of Congress and, uh, and uh, in, in just drive all of the elected officials out. Sounds a little familiar, right? Yeah, right. Um, and he says this because he said they were full of fraud and corruption and they're not fair. And we have to keep in mind that he's saying this literally on the eve of the Civil War. Um, you know, yeah. this is when the newspapers are riddled with Congress fighting. I mean, Congress was at such an extent prior to the Civil War. And it was so there's so much animosity that they literally kept dogs like guard dogs and in congress on the floor of the senate and the house to like unleash on senators and representatives if they got out of hand like this was it was bad so he's saying this is stupid we need to abolish it and again this gets printed in a newspaper and people are like oh yeah it's the emperor again and, you know as this guy's literally just kind of walking around people are stopping him they're starting inviting him over to parties to uh to speak at their parties and to the extent that he actually has his own seat in the senate um you know the state senate they just in California, they let him in. He just kind of hangs out. I, I mean, yeah, again, like I said, he's, he's a novelty. He's just, yeah. And, there, and he was against the civil war. Yes. He wanted to, he was hoping actually that the Roman Catholic church and the Protestant church would publicly say, yeah, you're the emperor of the United States. And that he would be able to just um, kind of resolve all disputes that resulted in the civil war. That was his plan. If he was the emperor, I'm the emperor. There's no civil war. That's kind of what he was going yeah. around telling people. Remember this war was like ravishing the country at this time, even though he's way, out west in California, um, it's kind of crazy to think about. It. He's, he's declaring himself the emperor, and there's this war going on, you know. Yeah, and then that's that's also when he adds the the second portion of it. So in '61, when the United States enters the war in, in 1860, 61, in 1861, at the same time, France invades Napoleon III invades yeah. Mexico. This like it's like an odd little war in Mexico. I mean, obviously the, the people of Mexico know about this, but I feel like the United States really glosses over this war. But what they, they have their own stuff going on, yeah. Exactly. Well, because it kind of happens during our, yeah, absolutely during our civil war. This, you know, the Second French Empire, Napoleon the Third, landed lands its troops in Mexico in 1861, and the reason for that is because there is like a nationalistic government that comes to power in Mexico in 1858 so again very similar on the eve of our civil war and what starts to happen is this guy basically nationalizes economy and basically stops paying interest payments to all of mexico's foreign creditors that being france britain and spain so initially it is a coalition of france britain and spain that lands in mexico to take them over in 1861 however it becomes very clear that napoleon iii didn't necessarily just want like get his money back. Like he wanted to take over Mexico. So at that point, Britain, Britain and Spain are like, yeah, we're not here for that. So they leave. And now you had France literally fighting against Mexico concurrent with our civil war. A lot of people also don't realize that um, we actually kind of celebrate something from it all the time because uh, the first major battle of that war ended with a crushing defeat of the French. And it is still celebrated in Mexico as Cinco de Mayo. Uh, ultimately, Napoleon does um, take over Mexico for a little bit. And once once the United States Civil War ends, there's a fear that the U.S. is going to upkeep their Monroe Doctrine and they're going to go back and start a war with France. 
And at the same time, you have Bismarck kind of really getting really strong and flexing his muscles in Europe. So Napoleon's like, ah, I don't want to risk it. And he basically leaves. But during this time, Emperor Norton, someone suggests to him, like, look what's happening in Mexico. And he's like, you're right. This is this is unjust. And he adds to his title. He becomes Norton I, Emperor of the United States. And as you mentioned earlier, the protector, the protector of, Mexico. of Mexico, which again, so, he didn't really do anything. I don't know what he was like, oh, no, talking it was just about. A title. It was just it's a title. really, you don't find much about what he says other than like his proclamations. That's like, I guess. And there is a lot of these proclamations. Yeah. He, he can't, comes out constantly and they're all, they're all also on the San Francisco um, archives. Yeah. You have them at the San Francisco museum. The San Francisco archives has just a list and list and list of all of his, uh, and they said he was very specific about like local stuff in San Francisco. Like he would walk the streets and be like, mm, this needs to be paved. And he would write a decree and have it published. Like the emperor believes that this needs to be paved. Uh, and, and people are like, oh, dang it. Like, <laughs> like they started listening to him because that, you know, he was so popular that when he started coming out with his decrees in newspapers and he pointed something out like, oh, this isn't fair. This isn't good. Like, you know, obviously on a national scale, no one took him seriously. But in San Francisco, people took him fairly seriously, I would say. Around 10,000 BCE, families and tribes of the ancestors to the people of Britain would arrive in the southern part of the island after crossing from land that bridged from Europe. The Welsh built houses, communities, kingdoms, and continued to survive through Romans, Saxons, Danes, and Normans. The language and culture influenced by these sources continued to change and thrive, becoming ancient and modern at the same time. Join me as we travel through the history, meeting the kings, queens, nobles, and everyday people that create and grew modern whales from the seeds of the ancient past. Creoso, and welcome to the Welsh History Podcast. Oh, yeah. There's a few couple incidents here that are kind of interesting. One is, did you read about the Bummer and Lazarus, his dogs? His dogs, yeah, which there's some debate whether they were his dogs or not, Exactly, right? yeah. But um, yeah, they were the, basically his um, dogs that would go around. And wouldn't he like always eat with them, though? Like That's why people thought they were his dogs. Yeah. Well, it's another thing. Basically, places for free. I keep on thinking, like, you you look at, like, San Francisco in the 1800s. These dogs, these two dogs were front page news. Someone literally, like, I'm almost like, was there nothing else to write about? There was, it was basically two mutts that were living on the streets. And one dog, uh, Bummer was the bigger dog. And he rescues um, Lazarus, which is a smaller dog. Um, from a fight with other stray dogs. What happens here is you have Lazarus, the smaller dog, is saved by Bummer, and someone sees this and writes in a newspaper, and the newspaper starts to follow these dogs to the extent that they like new, it's news when you see like you know Bummer steals a, a a bone from this other dog. Like this is a real thing. And then finally, it was in, almost like they were like celebrities. They were like, celebrities. Like, they were celebrity like yeah. stray dogs in '62. Um, they were taken in by a dog. Lazarus was actually taken in by a dog catcher. And there was a huge mob of like angry citizens demands the release. They petitioned to have the pair of these dogs basically declared city property so they could just wander the streets unmolested. And, you know, the newspapers could write stories about them. This is like, this is surreal to me, at least. Uh, you know, they get tied with Emperor Norton because they're often seen with Emperor Norton. However, a lot of like purists when it comes to San Francisco history, still argue, as you said, like they weren't his dogs, you know, like Bummer and Lazarus were their own like heroes over here. And Norton just happened to be with them sometimes. So we don't know for a fact if 
indeed they were his dogs. But they we became do part of the pop culture, basically, of San Francisco yeah. at the time. Yeah, I mean, he was just as popular as these two dogs. But he has a very similar experience, like Lazarus, right? In 1867, what happens, Tom? Norton walks the street. Is that when he gets arrested? Yeah, that's it. That's basically when there's a uh, one of these patrol guards basically arrests him for uh, involuntary. They basically believe he has a mental disorder. Yes. And they throw him and causing a civil uproar, civic uproar, as they say. And they actually throw him in jail. They try to get him committed, I want to say, in jail. And there is a public outcry when this yeah. happens that the police chief, Patrick Crowley, actually has to apologize to his majesty and um, ordered him ordered him release, released. Uh, the newspapers wrote wrote these, you know, scathing uh, editorials about it. Um, police officers began to salute him when he passed by them in the street. Like, people were generally upset. Like, how dare you arrest the emperor? Yeah, and like that, this guy had to be like, "All right, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> I'm just doing my job." You know? Yeah, they, the police chief had to publicly in a newspaper apologize. I mean, it, this, you're apologizing to somebody that literally walks the streets and claims to be the emperor. What a sword! He's walking with a sword too. Though. Yes, yeah. yes, I should mention he's, that. He's right. walking around the streets, calling himself the emperor of the United States with a sword. That happens today. They, they oh, are you're going to get up. arrested. Yeah, you're going to get locked up. up. If uh, that's that's the least that's going to happen to you, you know. Um. He was also, while he's walking, we should also mention this, like you said, he was walking over with a sword and he's got his blue uniform. His uniform started getting like really, really like dirty and smelly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then and people got upset. Yeah. People got upset. And they're like, oh, the emperor shouldn't be like this. So he actually writes one of his decrees and he goes, it came to my attention that, you know, um, we should not be dressed this way as the emperor because he always referred to himself, himself as we for some reason, I guess like his kingdom. So people raised money and bought him a brand new uniform. Like- they just bought him a brand new uniform. Like, no, you're right. The emperor should look good. Yeah, the, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors bought it for him. It's nuts, right? And then he, um, actually, then he sent them a nice, you know, thank you note and stuff like that. But yeah, so he was, and not only were people, I guess we can get to this now, not only were people in San Francisco kind of recognizing him, even though Congress, like the United States government never formally acknowledges him one way or the other. They just don't even yeah, like yeah. talk about him, obviously. But um, probably, well, the most famous was that there was one ruler that actually recognized him formally yes. as being as being the emperor of the United States, and that was um, King Kamehameha the Fifth of Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because if, he was so upset that by uh, the United you know, States was basically government, yeah. in Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, they were like taking over Hawaii. So he says, you know what? The only sole leader of the United States that I recognize is Emperor Norton. He also had. A, he was also obsessed with Queen Victoria. He had like a. Major he tried to marry. Yeah, yeah. He kept <laughs> on writing her letters. Yep. She, he, I don't think he never. She never responded. Obviously. Nope. They but he's responded. basically saying that you know we should get married. It'll strengthen ties between our countries. Yep. You know, like thinking that old school marriage. You know, type of uniting the kingdoms through marriage type of thing where they could super powerhouse and I, who knows if she even got the letters, but she never responded. Yeah, but, she most definitely know, did. Broke the guy's heart, man. You know, come <laughs> poor, on. poor guy, poor guy. Poor, um, poor but actually, no, he actually seems to be like a really nice guy, a very progressive. Uh, he believed in the League of Nations in 1870s, before there's yeah, such he, a thing. He yeah. goes, we need to bring nations together in this place where we could all talk. Like, he's basically a proponent of League of Nations. He also, um, during 1860s and 70s, being in San Francisco, there was a lot of anti-Chinese demonstrations, uh, especially in like the poor districts in San Francisco and a lot of riots. And he started to publicly speak against um, anti-Chinese demonstrations. And he would go into these rallies and he would kind of challenge these um, 
I guess, these, these leaders of these anti-Chinese factions, I guess. Uh, there's an anti-Chinese Workingmen's Party of California, and that that had this. That was one major group, I guess, that was against Chinese. And you know, he was like going toe to toe with them. Just kept on appearing at all these proceedings and saying no. He would stand on a small box and like speak out, like no, we need to treat everyone the same way. And obviously, he had no authority, and he was not listened to. But these are the things that made it to newspapers, which kind of gave him a little bit of credibility. Like he's trying to do the right thing. And as you mentioned earlier, he also winds up issuing his own money. I mean, this is where it gets kind of interesting. Yeah, so some of that money actually survives today and is worth over, I mean, it's a collectible item, but worth over $10,000. Yep, you could buy it on eBay. So it's a little bit of like investment, yeah, stuff like that. But a big thing he's also known for is he was um, proposing decrees and created decrees for a construction of a bridge in a tunnel to cross to connect um, across San Francisco Bay yeah. and for a tunnel to connect San Francisco at Oakland, which eventually does take place, obviously. Yeah, well, yeah, and they're actually saying that they want to change the name of um, the Golden Gate Bridge. There are efforts to actually yep. change the, uh, the to Emperor Norton's bridge yep. or Emperor Norton, yeah. And some people are like, eh, maybe that's a little too much. Um, maybe going a bit too far, yeah. Maybe. There's uh, a plaque, also, I believe. Like, there is a plaque. The, it, yep, and there's like a him. statue of him. Uh, in 1870, the Transcontinental Railroad is completed, and it brings tons of tourists to San Francisco uh, across the country. And Norton is written in newspapers all the time. Like when I started researching this, I have an account with newspapers.com, and I, I went sort of looking at newspapers from San Francisco from this time. And like he's in them all the time. Like he literally. No, they told me he's he's uh, who's who. What does Emperor yeah. Norton think about this? What does Emperor Norton say about this topic? Like his what he's saying is important. It wants to be yeah. known. And kind of going back to this idea of, you know, when he was very much pro-Chinese, he was also very much pro-African-American. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, he's talking about African-Americans should have the right to attend public schools. It is also during Reconstruction where he says that um, he goes back to this idea that Congress, you know, is not working, that a Republican and Democratic Party are fighting too much, that this is, there, there's corruption in, in Congress. And he calls for the basically abolishment of Congress again during Reconstruction, just like he did prior to the Civil War. And while he's advocating for African-Americans, he's talking about things such as they should be able to ride in public streetcars. Um, you know, the Chinese, as well as African-Americans, should have their testimony being heard in court. And he then started even arguing for the rights of Native Americans. Interestingly enough, most of his decrees were published in an abolitionist newspaper, like once an abolitionist newspaper, an African-American owned newspaper, which, you know, kind of also adds to this idea of like he was supportive of it because they were also very supportive of him um, by publishing a lot of his decrees. While other newspapers, based on what I saw, wrote about him, specific newspapers that were owned by African-Americans wrote what he said, which is it's a major distinction. What else do we have about Emperor Norton? Well, I have the well, fact that the money that he was actually issuing, he, as you mentioned earlier, would literally go into any place in San Francisco and the people would let him eat for free. Yeah, he never and, had to pay for anything. Yeah, he never had to pay for anything. So he kind of felt bad for it. So he initially started printing his own money. He would print these imperial bonds that started for 50 cents. Um, he would actually even sell these bonds to a lot of these tourists that came off this transcontinental railroad. Uh, he would sell these bonds for 50 cents. And he lived at a, at a basically they said his room um, was like six by 10. It was a little room. He only paid like six, 50 cents a night for it. He was very poor, no question about it. But 
he sold these imperial bonds and people kind of bought them. And then he would use them when he went out to eat. They said literally he would pay with fake money and people would give him like a full meal, full, full course. Like he lived off of San Francisco. It almost felt like studying him. I almost felt like he was like a, a mascot almost. I was you know going to say mean? that he was almost like their mascot. He was, yeah, he was, he was their mascot. He was their uh, like a claim to fame. Also that people nuts. How does he die, Tom? What happened? He just basically, he's walking in 1880, right? He's walking to give a lecture at the Academy of Natural Sciences. And he just kind of dropped, he drops dead right there on um, California Street at Grand Ave. He just passes away right there before anyone can get to him and bring him to the hospital. He's declared dead. And then the uh, next day, the headline in the morning call, which is a newspaper, right? You talked about. Yep. It says, Norton the first, by the grace of God, the emperor of the United States, protected Mexico, departed his life. So even in death, they're kind of still giving him this honor. Then, I mean, even if it's satire, I don't, these people are still honoring him as if he is an emperor. Yep. And he, they say, I think he died from a stroke. Yeah. I'm pretty sure probably. that's what they said it was. Um, so then that's when kind of he's quirky, he's eccentric. But now it's like, all right, so who the heck was this guy? And what, on him, they basically find like five or six dollars of change. And then they find where he lives. So they go um, search his room, boarding house on Commercial Street. It basically, it becomes very obvious that he was very, very poor. Um, apart from having like a collection of walking sticks, um, like an old battered saber, he really, you know, didn't have much apart from like various hats and one uniform. I mean, this guy lived in this little tiny room, had a cot in it, a wash bin, and that was pretty much it. What they also yeah. found, though, that whole entire room was was full of these decrees. That, that was his thing. He was just right. He, that, that's what kept him. I guess like now they start like his tweets, right? Yeah. His posts on Instagram. He would be constantly writing them. He would actually write decrees talking about how come people aren't listening to his decrees. Like you should be arrested because you don't listen to my decrees. There was this constant decrees about that even. Yeah. And again, this is just how he kept relevant. These people want to say, oh, what's, what's Edward Norton? What's Edward Norton? <laughs> what's Emperor Norton? What's Emperor Norton? He's the Hulk, about today? He's the Hulk. In just one movie. Yeah, I, I think he should have stayed. Ah, I don't know. His, don't his know. loss. His loss. That's right. Imagine, right? He, that was a dumb call. <laughs> that was like pretty he's got his, He's got his money. Yeah, I know. It's Ed Norton. Um, however, in, among the, amongst these telegrams, they did find some telegrams from Emperor Alexander II of Russia, like congratulating Norton on his forthcoming marriage to Queen Victoria. And people are like, wait, what is that? And then they started looking into it and they realized that these were telegrams he like sent himself. These were fake telegrams where he actually like went out of his way. And this is like hanging on his wall, like as he's writing as if he's the Emperor Alexander of Russia and like, you know, congratulations on your marriage to Queen Victoria. Then there was another telegram from President of France predicting that um you know his union with queen victoria will be disastrous to world peace like he's like making up his own life narrative like it, it, the guy was he, definitely not right ones. upstairs yeah he, he had he had his issues yeah no doubt well which emperor doesn't right i guess right um it's just again it's just crazy how popular this guy became in pop culture once you start researching it, you'd be like, wow, this is kind of a big deal. It's kind of surprising how much there is on him. And also like that this guy was able to live the life that he did for 21 years, even though he was living, like you said, poor, and as, but also so, as respected as he was. They said at his funeral, there was over 10,000 people turned yeah, out. Yeah, that's and the thing. Was a, it, was like the, it was like two miles long. Yep. 
the Pacific Club establish a funeral fund for him. And basically, they raised so much money because, again, he had no money that it was like a handsome rosewood casket. They said it was a range and dignified farewell. And he had this humongous funeral on January 10th um, of 1880. And like you said, 10,000 people lined the streets, like 10,000 people. That's insane. That's a crazy number. So he's buried in a Masonic cemetery in San Francisco. But then eventually that cemetery is moved. So yeah, he's so he transferred to, over in, in 1934, right? Yeah, 1934. Yeah, 34. They transfer him over. But even then, when they transfer him over, I read that also 6,000 people showed up to him being reburied. This is 1934. The guy's been dead for like 50 years. Well, again, like you said, but he's still the mascot. People know of him. There's statues to him. There's plaques to him. The, you know, I'm sure like the grandparents are telling their grandkids about, oh, Edward, you know, Edward said it again, Emperor Norton. Stop okay? calling him Edward Norton. Um, <laughs> Emperor Norton um, and stuff like that. And even in uh, January of 1980, the city of San Francisco marked the 100th death, uh, 100th anniversary of the death of its only monarch. That's what they said. Our only monarch, Emperor Norton. And they had um, lunch hour ceremonies all over the all over the the um the city just to honor him. And this is a hundred years, nuts. Hundred years after his death, and to this day, we should say, to this day, there's California assemblymen that are trying to change the name of the Bay Bridge to Emperor Norton Bridge. Well, there is actually something today known as the um, Emperor Norton Legacy League, and you can actually go to San Francisco, to where he would live, and this this actor basically dresses up as him and takes you on a tour. And you'll visit all parts of San Francisco. It's like a two-hour tour. And you're going to go to it. And he takes you through all these famous um, instances, talks about some of his decrees. A lot of times you can actually go into um, certain of the bars and stuff there at certain times. And Emperor Norton will walk in and start giving decrees and stuff like that. It's kind of like this actor that plays him that goes around. You sure it's, it's not, it's sure, you sure it's not Edward Norton that plays him, Tom? It's not Edward Norton, no. It's, it's Emperor Norton. Uh, it's funny. Very eccentric fella. Indeed. Um, I guess once in a while we need to do some of these like quirky episodes. But it's also it's one of that history that probably isn't as well known. True. Right? And it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting like, you know, did, what, did he really, was he really the emperor? No. But it, it just shows how a community, especially a growing community, kind of just like, like you said before, follow, creates their own mascot. You know, they come behind something. Really power is just something that's given. Power is something that that the people give. It's kind of an example of that, right? Because he, yeah. any power that he did have was because people just kind of said, "Yeah, okay." You look, and then when he does get arrested, look what happens. You I know, think it's very reminiscent. Crime. Don't you think it's very reminiscent of what happens today with like social media personalities and YouTubers? Yeah, I think like, I think that's people pretty just start he, following he be, him and building yeah. him up and talking him up and, and give entertaining him and entertaining oh, his yeah. quirk. It's almost and, a cool thing to do. It's an interesting. Yeah. It's a cool thing to do. It's an in thing to do. And really, if the people didn't give two craps about him, he would have just been some guy walking around the streets with a couple of stray dogs issuing decrees. Yeah. But because people were so interested in him, because the newspapers were feeding it, you know, publishing it, it gave him a certain level of legitimacy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's definitely a parallel to to today. We could, I mean, there's people my son watches on YouTube. I'm like, this is insane. Like, this person gets paid because people like you watch this. Like, I failed as a parent that I'm letting you watch this. Like, where did I go wrong? Well, it's the same thing then. People were just like, oh, let's just follow this guy, like you said, yeah. just to see what's going it's, on. It's nuts. I'm almost curious what history is going to be like in 200 years. Like, what's going to, like, 
these like TikTok personalities and, and like YouTubers and social media personalities and influencers. Podcasters. Touche. Like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> like, I wonder where that's going to go. Like, where exactly podcasters. Like, where, where's, where do we fit? Where does all this fit? I don't know. I mean, obviously we'll be long <laughs> gone by then. We should declare ourselves should... something. Yeah. Emperors are like kings or something. Yeah, all right, good luck. Yeah, I'm not even not? king in my own house. You crazy? <laughs> you can be the king of your uh, garage. Maybe garage. I, Maybe yeah, you know garage. what? I concur. I could do that. Or my desk right here, my desk. Fair enough. Anyway, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in once more to our podcast. We greatly appreciate it. If you ever need to contact us, please feel free to do so at historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. You could always find us there. You could always find us on Facebook as well. And we're uh, we're chugging along closer and closer to our fiftieth episode, which is uh, that's quite a quite a feat, I think, considering that we kind of sat down when they said, "Hey, you want to start a podcast?" Yeah, so we've come a long way. Keep it <laughs> moving. All right. Well, take care, everyone, and uh, you know, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Stay safe. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. The Battle of Waterloo was one of the most famous turning points in world history. But what happened next? My name's David Montgomery, and I'm the host of The Siecla, a history podcast that tackles exactly that. Join me as I cover France's overlooked century in between Napoleon and World War I. The Siecle, spelled S-I-E-C-L-E, is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and can be found wherever you get podcasts.